0: Luke 14, 33 says this, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple.
1: Hello, and welcome to Think This Way, the podcast of Faith Bible Church. I am Kermit the Frog, because uh, Pastor Bryce Beal has come down with a sickness that makes him very unpleasant to listen to. But thankfully, we are blessed, because at a very safe, comfortable distance, I have Bob Walther with us. Thanks for being here with us, Bob.
0: Thank you for inviting me, Bryce. I'm pleased to be
1: here. Today we are continuing our quarter on discipleship, meaning not the making of disciples, but what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. And this week we are talking about a very challenging subject. It is renouncing everything. So since I have Bob Walther with us here. I won't have to do a lot of talking, which is a great mercy. I'm going to be asking him some questions on this as he's lived a long life of doing this. But I thought we'd just get started today, Bob, by, for those who don't know, asking you, how did you come to Christ, and then how did you end up at Faith Bible Church?
0: Bryce, I can, as an old man, I can look back on my life and see, back when I was a very young boy, uh, God the Father calling me. I didn't hear Him. And I didn't recognize it for what it was because I was not saved until I was uh, 36 years old. Uh, But looking back, I saw God walking me through my life before that. Uh, Specifically, my wife and I had started attending church. I was not a Christian. We attended a small Armenian church on the east side of town. And another couple started attending there about the same time, John and Carol Wells. And we just hit it off as couples, and I just so admired them. Uh, none of us—I wasn't a Christian, and I don't know that John and Carol had been for very long, but John kept encouraging me to attend an ecumenical Curcio retreat weekend. And he did for about a year, and I kept giving him excuses on why I couldn't. But finally, he convinced me that it was something I should do, and I and I went, Uh and as a matter of fact, he even told me that after I, the weekend was over, that the objective would be to be, commit to being in a small group, an accountability group, after the weekend. And although I did commit to the weekend, I told him I would not commit to some ongoing group forever. Well, on Thursday night of that weekend, we arrived about 6 o'clock, and late in the evening, there was a retreat silence, and we were asked to read this little booklet called the Examination of Conscience. And as a part of that booklet was definitions of how pride manifests itself in a person's life. And I was sitting in my bed and it was at Sartor Retreat House, had our own little room all to ourselves, And as I read through this, these bullet points, I was checking off the ones that I thought applied to me. And I got down about eight or 10 of them and all of them had applied to me. And I was aware of something happening. And what it was, and this sounds a bit mystical, but it was the Holy Spirit descending on me and convicting me. And I kept looking at that list, and all of a sudden I was just overwhelmed with it. And I just burst out crying because I recognized that I could be Adolf Hitler. I could be Charles Manson. These sins that I was guilty of, were horrible things. And I came to recognize just how depraved I was. And I couldn't stop crying. And I'm not given to much emotionalism, which it was so out of character for me. And it kind of scared me. And then the exact opposite happened I burst out laughing just uncontrollably. And I would bite my lips together to try to make it stop. I was willfully trying to not do it and I couldn't quit. And then the thought came to me, Bob, this is what it means to be born again. And my whole life in a minute changed. And it it was just remarkable. I just never had joy like that ever. And three nights later on Sunday night, I, I came home and Walked in, and my wife was sitting up in bed with our two young sons. RJ was five, and Bucky was three, reading him a bedtime story. And I set my overnight bag down and looked at her. And she looked at me, and she said, what happened to you? I don't know what she saw, but she saw a different man come home than had left on Thursday night before. And uh, I just had this insatiable desire to know this God who could change me so much. And that really began my life of study and committing myself to knowing and loving this God that could do this to me.
1: What an amazing story and uh, sort of draws my mind to the book Religious Affections by Jonathan Edwards, who in the 1700s saw God doing something very similar in such large numbers of people And some of them had experiences like you described, remarkable experiences, and others didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And so both sides eyed the others with suspicion. And I really love Edward's book, Religious Affections, because he says, hey, these experiences that we have, and I won't go into detail, but I've had some similar experiences, but these experiences that we have in our relationship with the Lord or at conversion can be real, even if they differ from other people's experiences. What a beautiful picture of Christ working you. I also wanted to ask you how, then, you were at that church with John and Carol Wells. How did you end up here at Faith Bible Church?
0: It was really kind of amazing. There was a pretty significant group of us, even though we were in this Arminian church uh, that ordained women elders, we were all growing at really pretty rapid pace. and. You know, we all just kind of came under the teaching of R.C. Sproul and John MacArthur and Alistair Begg and saw and started seeing that th- this really isn't right. But it, it went from being a church that ordained women elders to having no men elders, and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back as far as staying in that fellowship. And I remember John and Carol saying, "Where can we go?" And I said, "Well, I don't know, but I have heard." That Faith Bible Church is a really solid, expositionally teaching church that's safe and doctrinally sound. And that was when they came. Well, Marianne and I didn't. <laughs> People are crazy, aren't they? Position you know, you we, myself. <laughs> we went to a, a large church and and were there for quite a few years. I actually became an elder in that church. But things started happening in there where the direction of ministry were going in directions that I thought were wrong. And at some point, I, I was forced to say, Marianne, we, we have to go somewhere else. We cannot stay here. It's not safe. And I said, we're going to go where we told the wells to go. And we, you know, by that time, we had known much more about Faith Bible and just how committed the church was to sound doctrine and expositional teaching, which I craved. And uh, that's been, I don't know, even 10, 12 years ago, and we've been here ever since.
1: Well, we owe you twice over, not only for your own long influence at Faith Bible Church and the help that you've been to me and everybody, but and your wife, but also for convincing the wells to come. <laughs> so thanks for doing that. Well, Bob, we're glad you're here because, like I said, we're talking about discipleship, and today we're talking about one of the harder parts of discipleship, although many parts are challenging, and it is Jesus Christ's command that we have to renounce everything if we're going to follow him. So we've been looking at on this podcast, Luke 9.23, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. Next week, Andrew is going to be with me to talk about Luke 14.26, about hating your own family, so stay tuned for that. This week, Jesus has another shocking, difficult statement that you read for us, Bob, Luke 14.33, Jesus said, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. I'm going to ask you about this, Bob, and I'm interested to hear from you. The only comments I have on this verse is, number one, it's clear that this is complete in its object. Jesus says, whoever does not renounce all that he has. So he says it that way on purpose. It's not if you don't renounce most or some, but you have to renounce all. And then it's complete in its demand. There's no middle ground. If you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. When we use the word renounce in English, we usually think of literally giving away something. So I think of two football players scrimmaging for a football on the field. If one of them renounces the football to the other player, he lets go of it and gives it to the other player. Well, if that's what's meant by renounce here, we have a problem because we all have things. We have private property in the United States. And even if you don't live under this governmental system, you have property of some sort, so, Bob, what I want to ask you is, how do we understand this command to renounce? Does that mean we need to give everything we own away? Yes.
0: Renounce is a very demanding word, particularly when we define it the way Jesus does with regard to how we live our lives. It means a bit of an actual formal declaration that I am not going to continue to follow something. And in this case, it's the ways of the world and the things that we tend to strive after as human beings. Um, You know, when Jesus made this declaration, many of the people that were following him, that would have thought they were disciples, were winnowed out. They, they fell away because the requirements were more than they thought they could handle. And the case is today, where are we in this as human beings? You know, when, when Jesus makes these really pretty harsh uh, but direct statements, he's telling us that, that we are to prefer him over all things, over everything, and as Andrew will certainly get into on this, even beloved family, and trying to understand what that means. But we are to disregard even them if what they desire is in conflict with what God requires. Uh, It's to love God more and things less. All things, self-interest, possessions, family, all other loves must be subordinate to loving God with all one's heart, soul, mind, and strength. And These statements by Jesus are not hyperbole, uh, are only intended for a few super disciples. Uh, I find no evidence of this in Scripture. Uh, they're hard sayings from Jesus himself that apply universally to all of us who profess to be Christians. No exceptions, no exemptions, Absolute unqualified requirements. I love Jesus, but do I really love him to this level? It scares me to think about it. Do I really love him like this? I've had so many threatening things happen in my life with a business where my knees have buckled for fear of losing those things. How tightly am I holding on to them? You know, my wife continually has been so helpful. I said, hold lightly to the things of this earth. They're passing away anyway. So it's such good advice from her. For our own personal comfort, we, I think, are tempted to depreciate harsh statements like this or to water them down so that we can handle them easier. But we must not do that with this. They mean what they say. And now these commands from Jesus, they don't come naturally to us we're sinners. We want things our way. We prefer the easy way. But perhaps God gives some new believers this extraordinary uh, love for him and undivided loyalty that that we're discussing, where they just naturally acquire this. I've seen it in people. But however, I think most church attendees today do not even hear of these confrontational words, let alone acquire them. Most churches gloss them over in order to make people feel more comfortable. I'm so glad that we don't do that here. The issue is, though, if we want to grow in our sanctification, in our maturity as Christians, this is a a critical part of our identity as Christians that we really need to develop as a a core belief, a, a basic thing. This is who we are. But if these attributes are not natural to us, the question is, how am I going to acquire them? And I think this is something that we can um, willfully and intentionally do. There are action steps we can take to arrive at this. And in my opinion, it specifically starts with study. And more specifically, the biblical doctrines of the doctrine of man and the doctrine of God. So now we get a contrast. Uh, Proper behavior follows proper doctrine. Now, doctrine is kind of a scary word to people, but it simply means biblical teaching about a subject. So when we understand biblically what God means here, I think it becomes easier for us to appropriate these hard things. So when a sinful man discovers just how sinful he is and how a most holy God has made himself a sacrifice in order to save that sinful man, it creates an overwhelming desire in that man or woman to worship and obey such a God of love. An important issue here, a very important issue, is our motivation in the study. The primary motivation must be to learn to love God more, not merely to gain knowledge. It's a good thing to gain knowledge, but we know what the Bible warns us about that. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. So I try to make it a practice, Bryce. Every time I sit down and open that Bible, why am I doing this? It's because I want to learn to love God more. And the more we love him and learn that truly his burden is light and his yoke is easy, specifically as we grow in our love for him and other people, these hard sayings make perfect sense to us. It, they're reasonable. Uh, and it is much easier to live them out in a practical way in every day of life. That's been my own experience. Uh I'm not saying it's easy, but it starts becoming a part of who we are. Uh, and Jesus, in this verse, is not advocating some form of socialism or getting rid of everything and living a life of poverty. That is not what this is about. But his point is that those who would be his disciples must recognize that we're stewards of everything and own nothing. And, in fact, if he did ask us, to literally give it all up, as he has done millions of times to millions of people, would we be willing and more than willing, eager to do so, because that's what he wants. Just doing that out of a love for, for Christ and a love for obedience to him, uh, this really should be our highest sense of duty and joy. It's just not a theoretical thing. It's something I think we need to face as a possibility. And as I said before, many have been called to this, certainly Moses. We saw what he gave up, the prophets, the apostles. And I know personally people who have done this. Two young women, Sarah Strauss and Cheryl Beckett, in their early 20s, gave everything up to become foreign missionaries in Afghanistan. And their life there. Uh, there were some other women too. They lived in a small house uh, that had a huge wall around it and an armed guard with a machine gun twenty-four hours a day. That's how dangerous life was for them there. But they loved those Afghan people, and they wanted to take the gospel to them. At some point, the you know they gave up all aspirations that young women at that age would have have families and husbands and homes and you know nice things in life but they gave it all up to go to Afghanistan. And it finally became so dangerous that the missionary sending group called them back home. And uh, Sarah actually went to work for the organization. Cheryl went back. She went back over there. She loved those Afghan people. She wanted the gospel to spread in that country. And the Taliban hated her. And they murdered her. They took her life beautiful young woman that I knew that lived this out to the point of dying for Jesus Christ. It was very emotional for a lot of people We really knew Cheryl well here in Evansville. So it's not just some theoretical thing. We
1: could be called to that. They were. What an excellent way of pointing out that on the one hand, for many of us, we may not end up giving everything as martyrs, But it's kind of like, I've told listeners that we're going to be quoting Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German pastor who did suffer martyrdom in 1945, April 9th. Um, It was Bonhoeffer in one of his observations about this very passage. He said, anyone who reads this passage and realizes this is talking about an inner renunciation and not necessarily giving everything away, anyone who reads that and then breathes a sigh of relief is not allowed to read it that way. (laughs) Because he said, we should look at what happened to the rich young ruler where Jesus literally told him, give everything away, sell it, give it to the poor. And we should go, if only that could be us. And what Bonhoeffer was pointing out is that here you have your friends who did literally, especially this young lady, go and give absolutely everything. We think, whew, that's frightening. But Bonhoeffer was pointing out it's more frightening in some ways for those of us who stay here because of the subtlety. Of thinking we've renounced everything internally. If we're not called to do it externally, there's a subtlety of thinking we've done it internally when in fact we've not done it. So that's where I wanted to conclude this is just by asking you when it comes to the subtlety of not renouncing everything, but thinking we've renounced everything, what are some good tests we can apply to ourselves to know if we have fully or progressively are getting to that point of fully renouncing everything for Christ?
0: Well, I think it is possible to do that, Bryce. It may be impossible to do it on our own uh, because we, there's nothing more deceitful than the human heart. And we can start examining our heart and uh, come up with some uh, really bad uh, conclusions from that. So I know that God gives us uh, means of grace, uh, gifts from him to help us to grow in maturity and uh, also checks and balances to help us correctly assess our commitment to him, especially in these more uh, demanding identities uh, of true discipleship. Uh, The most important helps that he provides us, I think, in, in order to move us along in this direction are, first of all, the Holy Spirit, also scripture, also prayer, and also the body of Christ. Kind of four things, and they are all critically important um, tools and helps that God provides for us to help mature us as Christians. You know, the the Holy Spirit convicts us when we we wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Uh, Prone to leave the Lord, I love. I, I have been convicted many times in my life uh, for that, being a kind of attentive to the Holy Spirit. At the same time, the, the Holy Spirit helps us to better understand Scripture as we read it. So when you read these hard things, you're not tempted to uh, dismiss them or to dilute them, but to, to ask God to help me really understand this. Uh, prayer puts us in direct communion with God, asking God, Lord, help me through this. Help me to understand this. You're a very direct thing that that is easy to pass up. Where I think this flesh-on-flesh thing with the body of Christ, when we think of that, of the body of Christ, typically the first thought that our comes into our head is normally what we do on Sunday. We come in with a large group of people to worship, and that certainly is that. But it can be so much more than that. Uh, You know, the Bible contains dozens of admonitions about being together, those one another verses. Uh, As iron sharpens iron, one man sharpens another. Uh, Meeting together regularly with a a small group of fellow believers, in my opinion, especially if they are committed uh, Christians, you encourage one another on to love and good works. in my estimation, it's indispensable in holding one another accountable to these high callings. There's got to be openness, honesty, confidentiality, confessing our sins one to another. That's hard to do. But being honest about that uh, and trusting these these other Christians that you're meeting with to help you through these hard things like easy things and hard things to learn with one another, uh, what level of success I have had personally, uh, in my quest for Christ likeness, I can largely attribute to experiencing these means of grace, these gifts of gods in, in the company of my small group that I'm in. Actually, I'm in four small groups a week. Uh, and they are all so beneficial to, uh, to help one another to understand these things, and also to live them out in our lives. It is possible.
1: Bob, thank you so much for being on here. I know Titus, too, does talk about older women teaching younger women, but we certainly believe that older men, you are also teaching us younger men, and we very much appreciate it.
0: Yeah. My wife left me with this last night. <laughs> oh, We've talked about this this over the last couple of weeks about this podcast, and she laid this on my notes last night. It's uh, part of the hymn, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. It says, I take, O cross, thy shadow for my abiding place. I ask no other sunshine than the sunshine of his face. Content to let the world go by, to no, no gain or loss. My sinful self, my only shame, my glory, all the cross.
1: I can't contrive a better conclusion than that. So may the Lord help us all now to think this way.